The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. Good morning, Mountain Park. Good morning. Glad you guys are here. My name is Alan, and we have proven once again as a country that we are divided right down the middle. The red states and the blue states. And so now I'm not going to get all political on you here because uh, that's not what this place is for. Jesus himself, who was a part of a very politically hot thing that was happening uh, in his time, he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar. So we're not going to get all political here, but I can get biblical, right? That's what we're allowed to do here. I can get theological. And I know that we're on uh, a different, we come from different places in terms of how the election landed. Some of you are elated with uh, the results of the election. Some of you are concerned with the results of the election. But let me just remind you that Scripture makes it very clear that we are to pray for and honor our leaders, our king, uh, the president, and Congress. And so that's what we can, uh, wherever we land, wherever we voted, that's what we can do. Another way for us to not be uh, political this morning is uh, I celebrate Veterans Day. Veterans Day is today. Back in 1918, on the 11th hour, the 11th day of the 11th month, World War I was officially over. And so for nearly 100 years, um, we, uh, we have been remembering and celebrating those who have served in the military, those who have served, uh, those who have been a part of uh, those who have been veterans in military. And so we want to do that this morning. Hopefully you saw the banners in the lobby representing, an, um, uh, um, I think, all of the people uh, who, as a part of our church who have served in the military. So we want to honor you today. If you uh, are currently serving or have served in uh, the armed forces, will you please stand so we can honor you here this morning. Stand up. Yeah. Now, remain standing if you would. Remain standing if you would. I want to invite uh, family members uh, of those who are, who are standing, if you would stand with them, or perhaps you uh, have uh, a loved one who is serving right now, or you're a family member, would you stand as well? We want to pray for you and honor you as well. Family members, go ahead and stand. Let us take a moment and pray for them. Let's join our hearts together and bless them and lift them up. God, we are thankful for the courage represented by those here in this room, those who have in the past entered into service in the military, and we are thankful that they are here to, um, to tell their story, and uh, God, that you have blessed them through that. God, we pray for those who uh, are serving now, um, God, that you would give them courage, that you would allow them to uh, do what you've called them to do in ways that are honoring to you, that they would make wise and uh, bold decisions as they serve in this way. We pray for families of those who have served or who are currently serving. Uh, they do this together. It's a team effort, and so we pray for them. Would you encourage them as well? And Father, this morning, uh, it is appropriate for us to take a moment to pray for our leader. We pray for our president that uh, you would uh, bless him and his family. 
God, uh, none of us here in this room have an understanding of the weight that he carries on his shoulders. And so I pray, God, that you would help him to make decisions that are according to your character and according to your plan and your will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Thanks. Thanks, all. I moved uh, to the United States from Canada in 1993, and it was very quick in my journey that I developed uh, an incredible, uh, well, I developed an appreciation and a respect for uh, the American military. And we had our uh, days and celebrations in uh, Canada, but uh, there's something about my interaction with uh, persons in the United States that elevated that uh, to a, a new level. And um, uh, I, my first pastorate in the United States was in Fairfax, Virginia, just, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., and one of my best friends was a guy named Jim, who was a jet pilot in the Navy, and he, on one weekend, uh, took me to the Army-Navy football game in Annapolis at the Naval Academy. This is a big game, and for the halftime uh, show, if you will, the Marine Corps silent drill team came out and did their thing. And I had heard about it. I'd never seen it live, however, and saw them do their deal. And uh, uh, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing what they were doing with, their, with the rifles and just absolutely incredible. And at the end, whole place was silent. And Jim leans over to me and he says, that's why we win wars. <laughs> And I wanted to stand up and go, yes, sir! I mean, it was, it was just, so, uh, just so awesome and inspiring. And I'm deeply moved in, uh, in movies uh, uh, that draw out the courage uh, that it takes for people to leave loved ones, uh, not because they're trying to get away from them, but leave loved ones, uh, uh, people that they really want to be with because they feel called to do something that is even bigger than their world, bigger than their family. That is a, a compelling concept. I remember a scene from We Were Soldiers, which is a movie about Vietnam, which is unique. There are not very many movies made about Vietnam. And uh, Mel Gibson's character leaves his family that he loves deeply, loves dearly, leaves his family in the middle of the night in order to go off on another, um, uh, another campaign. And uh, the, the scene is pretty moving. He thinks he's sneaking out, but we reveal that his, his wife uh, is just, uh, tears are coming down her eyes while she pretends to be sleeping as this is all happening. It's just pretty, prof pretty profound, the whole idea of, I'm going to leave the comfort and the safety of my family in order to go on this mission. And I think um, that there's a part of that that's a part of the conversation we're having here in terms of the mission God is calling us to do. That there are times where we need to pull out of the safety of the life we're living, the safety of just being huddled around with uh, our Christian friends or even our, our family and even our relationship with Christ and just staying there and not going into the mission that God's called us for. It is a courageous journey to leave this safety place and respond to God's invitation on our life. What we're talking about this morning is the idea of having an impact on your world. And that may mean having some uncomfortable conversations. That may mean taking a gulp and then entering into conversations because God has intentionally put you into relationships to allow you to make an impact on their journey. Sometimes this is referred to as sharing your faith or sharing your God story or sharing the gospel. Now the word gospel is a very churchy word. It's only, only used in the church. You got your gospel uh, 
choir and you got your gospel music and your gospel quartet and the word gospel is is instantly in our culture uh, I mean look it up in the dictionary it's instantly connected to the Christian church it's the gospel it's instantly connected to Jesus when the New Testament was written the word gospel wasn't limited to that it just meant good news it just it just meant Good news. It was equal with the phrase, with the concept, good news. So, for example, if it was used in that way today, I, I, when I look at, at what's happening with um, the National Hockey League, if the National Hockey League could work out something with the Players Association so that they can actually start the season so that fans can enjoy, that would be gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying there? That uh, I, I saw a... A picture of a guy who was dressed up in very, you know, dressed up in full hockey gear, but a regular person, not a professional hockey player. And he had a sign in the picture. His head was tilted, and the sign said, "We'll work for millions." <laughs> I think that's funny. Uh, okay, so, uh, but anyway, they're still kind of working that all out. Uh, uh, and uh, I won't do any more uh, references to the NHL. Yes, so you can just relax. That's that's gospel. It's uh, uh, good news. So, um, but I am uh, uh, moving on. That in, at the time in the first century, the term gospel was just about good news. In fact, it was used in in a number of different places, not just in the church or connected with Jesus. If the the leader of the area, who was the Caesar. Uh, this was at the height of the Roman Empire in the first century. If the Caesar had a note to pass on, that note was referred to as the gospel of Caesar. So, so here comes the gospel of Caesar. And the one who is presenting this information is referred to as an evangelist. So the one who is sharing it is an evangelist of the gospel, is the one who's just telling the good news from Caesar. Many of you are perhaps familiar with the story of Marathon, why we call that uh, long, disgusting uh, race, why we call it a marathon. It, legend has it that a guy ran 26.2 miles from the city of Marathon to the city of Athens to bring the good news that they had defeated the Persians. And so he went, he ran 26.2 miles to Athens to tell them that they beat the Persians, and then he fell over and died. <laughs> That's the story. That's where we get marathon. So somebody in their, in their you know, amazing brain thought, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Let's have thousands of people do it every weekend in honor of this guy and have everybody almost die at the end of these races. Sign me up. I'll pay for that. Uh, sounds good. But this guy who ran from marathon to Athens... He was an evangelist. He, that's, what he, that's what his role was. Hey, get the evangelist to do the run. And because he's bringing good news. He's coming in and he's saying, hey, people died in Marathon. And so as a result, people of Athens, you are free. We're free from uh, what the Persians were about to do to the Greeks. And so in a similar way, those who are followers of Christ... We, we, we say, those who are evangelists, say, you know, somebody died. Christ died on a cross. So as a result, you are free. We're evangelists passing on a message. I want to just kind of frame the rest of our conversation here today to say, I'm really targeting those who are followers of Christ. 
If you are not yet, if you are visiting, or if you're still trying to figure out what you believe, we are so glad that you're here. This is a safe place. We are working out our faith together. But this message is targeted for those who believe Jesus is the Messiah, and you're figuring out what your role is with all that. That's what the mission section is all about. Again, if that's not where you're at, welcome. Maybe this would help give you insight into the heart of those who believe Jesus is God and why we, we might want to have conversations um, with people that we care about. So the whole idea of, of evangelizing the gospel is simply about saying, I've got some good news and I want to share it. We're, we're okay with that. When we've got good news, gospel news, we're okay with sharing it. We learn about a great new restaurant, a great uh, Groupon, a uh, great sale. Uh, these shoes, my goodness, you can't believe they've got, they got 18-inch heels and they're only for uh, uh, $825. It's a deal. You've got to get a couple pair. Whatever. When we have great news like that, we want to share that stuff. We're okay with sharing that. The question is, what are we sharing? We're all evangelists. We're all evangelists. We're sharing some kind of news. What gospel are you sharing? What message is your life communicating? We, this whole year, have been talking about what it means to have a real relationship with Jesus, an actual relationship. And in this final stage here this year, we're looking at the concept of mission, that if you are a follower of Christ then you and he are together for a reason. It's, it's not just done when you sign up and say, yes, I want to be a follower, but there is a reason that you're together, a purpose, a mission. We've been looking at a guy in the New Testament named Paul. He's a prolific writer of our New Testament. And uh, we're looking at the letters that he wrote to a number of different people and churches while he was on mission with Christ. His mission, as we talked about a few weeks back, was to reach the Gentiles, was to communicate the gospel to those who did not know, um, uh, to those who were not Jewish. That was his mission. That was his life deal. And this morning, I want to take a look at one of his letters called First Thessalonians. It was the first book in, in the Bible that is um, that was recorded that Paul wrote to this church in a place called Thessalonica. And uh, it's found later on in the New Testament, kind of deeper into the New Testament. Uh, as I said last week, the, the letters of Paul are not in chronological order. That wasn't important to those who, who compiled the, the order of the books um, uh, you know, many centuries ago. What they, wanted, what they basically did is they formed them in order from kind of longest to shortest. And so 1 Thessalonians is one of the shorter books, even though it perhaps was the first letter that Paul wrote that we have record of. So, uh, so it's later on in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, and I'm beginning in the first verse of chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God... We dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. We dared, we were bold enough to tell you the good news despite strong opposition. Some Christians read verses like that and assume that it is our job to be bold and strong through your opposition. That we are to be bold and strong even though you don't want to hear it. 
But I'm going to be bold and strong like Paul. No. No. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about being bold and strong through the opposition of the people he's trying to reach. The strong opposition was from others. The strong opposition was from the Romans and the Jews. The same opposition that Jesus faced as part of the the stories we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Romans were threatened by these Christians who were getting more and more popularity. And they didn't like that happening. The Jews did not want Christians to come in and confuse Jewish people about who God is, about who the Messiah is. So the Romans and the Jews, they're the opposition. The Gentiles that Paul's speaking to, they're not the ones who are giving the opposition. We get confused with that sometimes, thinking that we've got to be just bold and strong. There's nowhere in Scripture that says, be an obnoxious jerk for the sake of Christ. It just doesn't say that. We can do more damage than good if we believe that's what we're supposed to do. I'm just going to plow right through the opposition. No. Jesus says we are to be fishers of men. Fishers of men, not hunters. Fishers of men. We're not bears at a Canadian stream just going, scooping fish up and slapping them all over. That's not the picture that we have here. That's not the, we can't do that. You can't catch a fish with your hand. It's just hard. I, as I mentioned before, I went on a, uh, a trip to Belize with my family. And uh, I've done a fair amount of snorkeling and scuba diving. I've been certified for quite some time, and I love underwater life and the fish and all that. Uh, one snorkeling uh, time, we were only about four feet above the, the, um, the surface uh, underneath the water, and there were these swarms of fish, schools, because they're not swarms, but there's schools of fish, the, the, the most numerous bountiful fish I'd ever seen in my life, ever seen in my life, millions of fish, about two inches long, about one and a half to two inches long, shiny little fish, millions, like that scene from Nemo, but millions of them, millions, millions, and my son, I was snorkeling with him, he's 11 years old, Gordon, and he was having a good time, because while he was uh, snorkeling, he would pretend he was Darth Vader, and he would use the force and move thousands of fish. He would just go, whoom, and like thousands of them would scoot over in that direction. He would change the direction of the fish with his hands, whoom, he would do all this, and I thought it was awesome. I was trying to laugh with a snorkel on, and I just thought it was cool. And you know how many fish we captured? Zero. Millions of fish, smart humans. Zero fish. You can't capture them. Doesn't matter how fast you think you are. They are faster. You don't catch that way. How do you catch fish? You entice them. You invite them into something. You, can, you have fish, and the way we do that spiritually is we, we present how Christ is working in our lives. How if, if Christ is real, if you have a real relationship with, with him, there will be evidence of that by how you live your life. And then people will look at that, and they'll kind of go, <laughs> and they'll come swimming towards you. <laughs> that right there is a picture of evangelism. <laughs> Take it, right there. That's it. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. We are not called to be obnoxious jerks. We are to be fishers of men, fishers of women. Let me read the next verse, verse 3. You're welcome for that image, by the way. It's it's all free. Uh, Number 3, 
For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. This is interesting, especially in light of Jesus' words that we are to be fishers of men. The word trick is literally, in Greek, it's the exact same word as the lure that is used in fishing. Interesting. And Paul says, we're not trying to trick you. It's not that there's this big hook that is masked by a shiny rubber object, and if you get close and chomp on it, ah, we gotcha, gotcha. That's not what it is. That the fishing Jesus is talking about is we just say, here's what it is. No smoke, no mirrors, no no pretending, no uh, reshaping, no masking. This is what it is. With, as Paul says, with pure motives. I just want to, I want to present this to you. I'm not stuffing it down your throat. I'm just saying, this is my understanding. Sure, I have lots of questions. I don't have it all figured out, but this is what I got. Are you interested? And there are pure motives. I want to show you a video clip from a, a guy. It's a video blog from a guy named Penn from the uh, magician duo Penn & Teller. They've been in Las Vegas for many, many years. Penn is the big guy. He's, he's rather large. He's got a ponytail. He's very intelligent. And he is uh, kind of known for being a, a vocal atheist. And he offers this video blog that I think is pretty uh, interesting in light of our conversation this morning. Check this out. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? You can just see that he's wrestling with this. He's a smart guy. And, and you could see that he, he knew, based on a small interaction with this guy, that this guy had pure motives. And that was, that was uh, powerful for him. See, people pick up on our motives very quickly. People are very intuitive. We are very intuitive. Our ability to figure out uh, situations, figure out people, is, it, we, is way better than what we give ourselves credit for. We have the ability, we pick up on information real fast. Studies show that students, when they have a new teacher, they know within minutes how that year's going to go. They're going to be pretty accurate about how that year's going to go, just based on very simple, quick little um, impressions that we get. Our intuition, our intuition is very, very powerful that employers know in interviews very quickly how things are going to go. And for you, if you, if you uh, remember uh, dating or if you're currently dating, that uh, if you do a blind date, you know before you get in the car whether this is going to be any good or not. There's something that happens pretty quickly. If you are visiting with us today, if you're visiting Mountain Park, this is your first time, I'm confident that you made a decision as to whether or not you're going to come back before you even heard a song start because there's this intuitive piece that you have that you, uh, you get to decide whether this, we call it a safe place to visit, whether you believe this is a safe place. And uh, if you, for whatever reason, have, have decided your intuition has said, no, this is not the right place for my family or whatever, I'd love to know about that. I would love to have a conversation with you or, or email from you or whatever. I'd love to hear about that. But I'm also very sorry that you've had to stick around for 44 minutes when you've already known, you've already made a decision. I mean, you can just, you, you, you're, you're dismissed. I mean, if you really, you, you don't, you can just leave. Just, um, just pretend you have to go to the bathroom and uh, pull out. Go for it. Anybody? Okay, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but your, your intuition is, is sharp. And, and Penn, he knew that this guy had pure motives. And it was moving to him. 
What I'm not saying today is make sure you have pure motives. I think it would be very unlikely for those of you who want to have an impact on your world and on the people that God's given you, I think it's very unlikely that you have impure motives. I mean, what are impure motives? You're on a, a, a conversion competition. I don't know what impure motives might be. My guess is, however, that you need to be reminded of the power of your pure motives. Because you have pure motives and you really do care about people, go for it. Go for it. Their intuition will kick in and say, this person genuinely cares about me. Go for it. Let me keep on reading. Verse 4. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, the good news. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. Again, this is not permission to just be obnoxious. We're not trying to please men. We're trying to please God. That's, that's not what he's saying there. Uh, jump down to verse 8. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Paul's saying, we came in and we shared the gospel, the good news, the story, the information of who Jesus is and, and, and what God's overall plan is. We shared that. But we not only shared that, we shared our lives with you. We connected with you. This has been referred to uh, for uh, many years as lifestyle evangelism. About as we're going about our lives with the people that we naturally do life with, we just allow the good news uh, uh, to come through our natural conversations. It's about uh, being intentional with the relationships and the connections that, we're, that are already part of our lives. It's about romancing people, fishers of men. And some of you are thinking, romancing? Well, that sounds kind of creepy. I'm not doing any romancing. I'm not romancing anybody. That's why you're still single. Because, because romancing is not, is not manipulation. When you romance somebody, you love them. You're interested in You want to pour into that. You, you care about them. It's not manipulation. It's investing in them. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, somebody romanced you. Somebody invested in you at some point in the journey. This is not all to your credit that you are such an amazing person. Somebody invested in you. Maybe it was your parents and you grew up in a Christian home and from a young age they invested in you to say this is who God is and who Jesus is. And you've been a Christian your whole life. Maybe there was somebody uh, when you were a student who invited you to a student ministry or invited you to go to a camp or invited you to go to Young Life. Maybe somebody in college invited you to be a part of a Bible study or to join a Christian group uh, on campus there. Somebody romanced you or multiple people along the way have invested in you and romanced you. So the question is, who are you investing in? Somebody invested in you. Who are you investing in? It's the economy of evangelism. It's the responsibility for us to keep the thing going. When we look at the economy of our country, that the economy remains strong when generations continue to pour into and invest in the upcoming generations. It's when a generation says, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I got all I need. 
I'm taken care of. Let the next generation take care of themselves. When a generation says that, the whole thing falls apart. And that, in some ways, is what's happening with our country. Spiritually speaking, when a generation says, I'm good, I'm good, hallelujah, I'm right with God, I'm going to heaven, let the next generation take care of themselves. It's just an awkward conversation, I'm good. As soon as a generation says that, the whole thing crumbles, the whole thing falls apart. The message of Jesus has been passed on for 2,000 years because generation after generation have accepted the mission, the responsibility to pass it on to others. And we cannot be a generation that stops that flow that's been happening for centuries. So, let's say you have pure motives and that you you have genuine relationships with people that you really do care about. How do you talk to them? How do you have those conversations? I mean, in a world that is increasingly anti-Christian, you know, in a world where people have negative um, baggage, if you will, about Christ and his church, how do we have those conversations? I want to share uh, four words that my hope is that they would be helpful for you. I heard these words from a friend of mine in Cincinnati, and they've been kind of bouncing around in my head for, for a while that I think are very helpful with these conversations. They actually give language to some of the stuff that I've, I try to do in, in my conversations and my relationships. Now, I don't expect you to memorize these four words. It's not a cute little acronym or anything. But maybe some part of this will stimulate, will have an effect on your conversations with people. So the first of the four words is Identify. Identify with people as they invite you into significant conversations. What happens is when we do life with people, when we have relationship with people, there will be natural opportunities for significant conversations. And people will be drawn to you if you let them know you're a believer. If you let them know, you know, it's the fishers of men idea. If you let them see Christ in your life, let them know, not in in an obnoxious way, that you are a follower of Christ, there will be significant conversations that surface. They will come and want to talk to you eventually about something. Perhaps there'll be a, a deep theological issue that will surface for them. Maybe someone they care about will will be in pain or be struggling or be dying and and they'll want to process that with you. Maybe there'll be uh, some personal crisis in their life and they'll want to process that with you. There's a natural flow that comes out of our genuine relationships. I've, I've been on a hockey team for six years, same group of guys. And typically, what we talk about is hockey. That's what we do. That's we get together and we talk about hockey. And, and uh, so after the game, we hang out. And if we win, we talked about how awesome we were. And if we lost, we talked about how clear it was that the other team cheated. That's what we do. That's what you do. And, and there are, there's another element of our conversation, and that is the emails, because we all have to email to communicate when things are happening, and there's a regular flow of inappropriate jokes and emails that come through my hockey team that I don't get from a lot of my other Christian friends. And so then I, I laugh, and then I feel guilty, and, and then I, 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 uh, I send them off to other pastors. Um, 
and surprise them that I sent them. And it's a whole other deal. But, I mean, I'll, I'll deal with that another time. But, but that's typically the way the conversations go. But every once in a while, because of these real relationships, I'll be invited into another level of conversation. One of the guys uh, on the team uh, about a year ago, his little sister died of a, of a tragic and terrible disease. She, had a, she has kids and a family, and it's just, it just tore him up. This friend of mine, is he believes in God, doesn't go to church, but this whole thing has just, just been consuming his mind and his heart. And he said, Alan, can we... Can we have coffee sometime? I, I just want to talk, talk this out with you. Very different conversation than what we typically have. So we spent time before a game, and we hung out. It's the first time that I, I'd ever interacted with him in this way. The significant conversations will happen as we're doing life with one another, and we're attentive, and we're open to it. And what we do in those situations is we identify with them and show a person that, we're, that you're a real person, that you can identify with their struggle, that, that you're not some Christian floating above all of that and trying to see what those other people are dealing with. You can identify with what's going on. And let me just tell you on the identification piece, be brief as you identify. Sometimes what can happen is somebody shares their story and then you do this long, drawn-out story about how you lost somebody that you cared about. That's not what the conversation is about. You identify quickly, but get it back to them. It's not about you. It's about them. Honor them. Pour into them. Second word or concept. We identify and then we validate what they're saying. Sometimes Christians can come in and be so arrogant in response. Oh, yes, I remember. One time I struggled with something that petty before. We can be so arrogant, and it's just so obnoxious that Christians can respond that way. Validate their question, their concern, their frustration, their struggle. Let them know they're not crazy for having that struggle, whatever it is. Validate them. It's a way of honoring them. A third and incredibly powerful way that we can honor people is ask questions. One of the last things we want to do in one of these significant conversations, one of the last things we want to do is launch off into some grand pontification that is not really even addressing the question that they're bringing to the table or the issue that they're bringing to the table. And we're making assumptions, and they start up, and they say, oh, I know exactly what you mean, and you rattle this whole thing off. They're not going to ask you next time. They're not going to want to go for coffee with you next time. One of the most honoring things you can do is, is close your mouth and ask questions and pour back into them. Sometimes part of the fishing process is to put crumbs in front of them uh, to find out what they really want out of the conversation. Maybe they don't want you to answer anything. Maybe they just want someone to listen to them. So many people go through their lives with nobody really stopping to listen to them. That's why we pay so much for counselors. Maybe they just want you to listen, to be a good listener. They don't want you to solve anything. Find out if they really want to hear from you or if they want you to hear from them. And just throw out little crumbs and kind of see how that goes. So in the conversation with my friend, I, I can't remember what I said, but I, I very likely would have asked something like, so um, um, am I to understand that 
that uh, you believe God took your sister and you're having a hard time understanding how a loving God would possibly do that. Or I, I might say, uh, what, are you, what are you looking for? Are, are you looking for peace with God? Do you want, is it important for you to have peace with God? What might it look like for you to have peace with God? What's a possible scenario where you would have restored peace with God? It's very honoring to ask people questions. And then, teach. Then, share what you believe, what your experience is, your understanding of what Scripture has to say. So often, we jump to teach. We jump to number four. And instead of uh, giving the honoring time of kind of going through this process. But there is a time... There is a time to go in, and, and if you feel that the time, the time is right, to lean into it and to teach. One of the other disciples named Peter, he says, be prepared at all times to give a reason for the hope that is within you. Be prepared at all times. One way you can do this, again, if you are a follower of Christ, think through your big three questions of life. Maybe there are three things you continue to struggle with or things that you did struggle with as you came to faith. Think through three big issues or struggles that you have had, and I'm confident they will overlap with a lot of the things you're going to interact with people that you care about. You think through kind of your, your thoughts and your response and what a scripture has to say about those three things. They're going to overlap with a lot of the conversations you're going to have. I find recurring questions pop up. How could a loving God allow evil, allow tragedy? That's a question that pops up a lot. What happens when we die, really? A lot of books about that. What happens to those who are from other faiths or for those who don't hear about Jesus in a, in a tribe in Africa? And they don't get to hear about this. What happens to them? How does God work all that out? How does that work? Can you explain that to me? What, what are your kind of driving theological issues? Do you at this point in your life have a, um, a response to those things? I think it would be a powerful exercise to think through your three big questions and write out what your thoughts are on them. Memorize scripture on each of those three things just to help solidify your mind so that you are prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within you at, at any time when you might have a conversation. You are not going to have all the answers. If, if you think you do, you've got a bigger problem. Okay? And, and you're going you're to be obnoxious if you come across as if you do. It's not about having all the answers, but there is a responsibility to be prepared for some of the big ones that you would expect to encounter. I encourage you to process this with, with other believers. With, uh, if you're in a, a D group, which we highly recommend, have a conversation with your group about what are your big questions, what would be your responses to them. Google it. Uh, look up some books. Have conversations with people you trust. Again, memorize scripture on that particular issue. Be prepared. As we close uh, today, I'm going to invite the band to come up, and what, I'm gonna, what I want to do is set you up with an opportunity to reflect on the God who brings good news, to reflect on who in your life he may want you to evangelize to, to, bring, to be the carrier of good news. 
If you are new with us, just visiting, uh, there'll be a number of stations throughout the room for a number of different ways for people to respond. And they're listed in your program if you have questions about that. You can check that out. You can participate in, in any way that you would like. We do ask with communion that uh, it is an open communion. You can participate if you'd like, but uh, that, uh, that you would be a follower of Christ before you would participate in that one. But all the rest of them open to, to wherever you are in your faith journey. Or you can just sit there, just sit and watch and think. But I do ask that you would, you would give God your attention for these next 10 minutes and just say, God, in what way do you want me to have an impact on my world? Think of the words of Penn in that video. How much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them the good news? We have so many apprehensions and fears and oh, what if, what if, what if. How much do you have to hate somebody to not make that uncomfortable step of going there with them. Somebody invested in you. Somebody romanced you. If you're a follower of Christ, and as a result, you know of the hope and the mission and the purpose and the life that Christ offers. If you are searching with regard to who Jesus is, that is available to you. It is available to you right now to surrender your life to Christ and spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what that looks like. And it's available to any of uh, the people in your life that you care about, family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. The, the hope and the peace and the life that Christ offers is available to them. And that, my friends, is very gospel. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we need some good news. We need good news. We need an evangelist to come running into our village and proclaim and remind us of good news. We are surrounded by bad news on the media. The message is, is so often bad news, bad news, bad news. But the message you bring is good news. It's the gospel. And so first of all, God, we want to thank you for the good news. We want to thank you that that is here in this place, that, uh, that many hearts here in this room have embraced the good news. And as we figure out our faith, we know that you are a loving God who wants to spend eternity with us. We are thankful for that, God. But I also want to pray for those that you've brought into our lives who do not yet know Jesus Christ. Would you use this assembly here, this gathering of people, to have an impact in this community, in this city, in supernatural ways, that you would stir up conversations this week that would be meaningful and significant, and that persons in this room would have the boldness and the courage to go there because they're genuine and they really do care about people. Would you stir that up within us? Thanks for inviting us to be evangelists to share the good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.